Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 10th June. This is Ian Haydock. This week, paradigm shifting breast cancer and KRAS inhibitor results at ASCO, BMS's targeted oncology acquisition, a snapshot of the MS market, and a look at Adrihelm one year later. AstraZeneca and Daiichi Sankyo teased the possibility that the Phase 3 Destiny Breast 04 study, testing NHER2 in individuals with breast cancer, categorised as HER2 low, was potentially paradigm-changing months ago with the release of the top-line data. The level of benefit seen in the full data presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO, meeting on 5th June clinched it. Jessica Merrill writes the data are poised to change the way doctors think about categorising breast cancer nearly 25 years after Genentech launched the first HER2-targeted drug for the disease, Herceptin. With the discovery of HER2 and eventually the development of Herceptin and other HER2-targeted treatments, metastatic breast cancer patients have been generally categorised into two camps with different treatment protocols. Those with HER2-positive disease who receive HER2-targeted drugs and those with HR-positive HER2-negative disease who receive endocrine therapy or a CDK4-6 inhibitor. Patients with HER2-low expression have been categorised as HER2-negative. Now, for the first time, a HER2-targeted regimen has shown an efficacy benefit in patients with tumours that are categorised as having low HER2 expression, paving the way to treat a much wider range of patients with a HER2-targeted therapy. About 55% of metastatic breast cancer, typically categorised as HER2-negative, express low levels of HER2, as recognised by ASCO guidelines, and those patients have poor outcomes in later lines of treatment. These practice-changing findings identify a new subset of breast cancer, called HER2-low, and redefine how a large proportion of metastatic patients will be treated, ASCO said in announcing the data. Although our currently available HER2-targeted therapies have not proven effective for patients in this subgroup, this low level of HER2 may be targetable by newer generations of antibody drug conjugates. Principal investigator and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre oncologist Shanu Modi said during the plenary session at ASCO. In Destiny Breast 04, we demonstrate for the first time that a HER2-targeted therapy produces statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvements in PFS and OS for patients with HER2-low metastatic breast cancer. The findings, she said, could impact survival for approximately 50% of patients diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer today. In Destiny Breast 04, NHER2 demonstrated a 49% reduction in the risk of disease progression or death versus physician's choice of chemotherapy in patients with HER2-low metastatic breast cancer with HR-positive disease. Medium progression-free survival, which was the primary endpoint, was 10.1 months compared to 5.4 months for chemotherapy. NHER2 resulted in a 36% reduction in the risk of death compared to chemotherapy in patients with HR-positive breast cancer. Median overall survival was 23.9 months compared to 17.5 months for those treated with chemotherapy. Staying with ASCO, Amgen was the first to bring a KRAS G12C inhibitor to market with the US FDA approval of Lumacras a year ago. 
Mirachi Therapeutics is now on track for a second place finish with potential FDA approval of Adagrasib in December of this year. However, both companies still have work to do to illustrate the best use of their therapies and each attempted to advance that understanding at the ASCO meeting. As Amgen Vice President of Late Stage Oncology Development, Ifen Chang noted in an interview with Scripps' Mandy Jackson, we are just at the tipping point of understanding which patients can benefit from KRAS inhibitors, what's the best combination and in what tumour types. That is why the company presented results on 4th June outlining genomic alterations observed in patients when their lung or colorectal cancer progressed in the Phase 1-2 Code Break 100 trial of Lumicras. Mirati presented data in a late-breaker session on 6th June from a Phase 1b cohort of the ongoing CRYSTAL-1 trial that evaluated intracranial responses to adagrasib in patients with KRAS G12C-mutated NSCLC who had active and untreated CNS metastases. About a third of the valuable patients treated with adagrasib had an IC response in the study, which was the first set of data showing CNS-specific activity for a KRAS G12C inhibitor in NSCLC. Data from the registration enabling Phase 2 cohort of Crystal 1 testing Adagrasib 600mg given twice daily to 116 NSCLC patients with KRAS G12C mutations after at least one prior line of treatment were reported on 26th May when ASCO released abstracts. Adagrasib is under FDA review for approval to treat second-line or later KRAS G12C mutated NSCLC with a 14th December action date. The objective response rate in the Phase 2 cohort of Crystal 1 was 43%, with a median follow-up of 12.9 months and 6.5 months median progression-free survival. Median overall survival at a date of cut-off three months later than the other endpoints was 12.6 months. While the ORR was higher than Lumicras, the DCR was shorter, so Marathi's data for Adagrasib were viewed as undifferentiated from Amgen's results for its approved drug. It remains to be seen if Adagrasib's activity in brain metastases is enough to differentiate it from Lumicras. However, this differentiation will be key for Adagrasib, given the year-and-a-half lead the Amgen product will have over Marathi's drug in the US, assuming it is cleared by the FDA on time in December. Despite Roche's troubled investment trying to compete with Pfizer in a genetically defined subpopulation of non-small cell lung cancer, Bristol-Myers Squibb has decided to wager $4.1 billion to buy out clinical stage turning point therapeutics and its ROS1 TRK inhibitor, Repotrectinib which showed potential for a best-in-class profile in Phase 1-2 data released in April. BMS said on 3rd June it had agreed to acquire the San Diego-based biotech in the second-largest M&A deal of the year to date, trailing only Pfizer's $11.6 billion buyout of Biohaven Pharmaceutical on 10th May. Joseph Haas writes that in top-line data from the Trident 1 study, Repotrectinib yielded promising overall response and durable response rates in patients with ROS1-positive NSCLC. Among 71 tyrosine kinase inhibitor naive patients in turning points phase 1-2 trial, the confirmed ORR was 79%, 
versus 42% among those pre-treated with one TKI and platinum-based chemotherapy. Repotrectinib also yielded a high degree of durability or response in Trident 1. Among 56 TKI-naive patients, 91% were still in response at 6 months. ROS1 mutations are thought to account for between 1 and 2% of all NSCLC cases. Pfizer's Zalcori holds the dominant market position in that treatment setting, while Roche's Roslitrek, which is the centrepiece of its $1.7 billion acquisition of Igniter in 2017, entered the space with a 2019 US approval, but has never gained much traction. Zalcori brought in $493 million in 2021 sales, while Roslitrek, in its second full year on the market, totaled only $49 million. Some analysts view as key the education of community oncologists that continue to use Zalcori as a frontline agent, where Roche has failed to make inroads with Roslitrek. Several new drugs for multiple sclerosis have reached the market in the last few years, but the newest ones work through established mechanisms of action and are competing against well-entrenched rivals, which has made it hard to break into the crowded space. Jessica Merrill writes that building a new generation of commercial blockbusters isn't proving to be very easy in MS, especially as COVID-19 depressed diagnosis and created new concerns about immune responses. But drug makers are still hoping to carve out a share of the market by highlighting nuanced differences between their products. As the therapeutic area developed beyond older interferons and immunosuppressive therapies, two categories in particular have seen new launches. Oral sphingosine 1-phosphate, or S1P, receptor modulators, and injectable CD20-targeting antibodies. The CD20 space has stronger commercial legs, driven by better efficacy data, increasing comfort with safety, and a push towards using the drugs earlier in the treatment paradigm. In the last two years, two new players have entered the space, Johnson & Johnson and Bristol-Myers-Squibb, while others with a longer presence in MS, including Biogen and Sanofi, aren't competing in either of the two categories. There are now four oral S1P modulators on the market, with newcomers looking to chip away at Novartis's first-in-class and market-leading Gilenya. When it comes to the CD20 antibodies, Roche's Ocrevus, which launched in 2017, has been a commercial standout, but is now facing competition from Novartis, which launched Casimpta in 2020 to capture some of that market. TD Therapeutics is also hoping to bring a new B-cell therapy to market called Ublituximab, for which the US action date was recently extended to 28th December. While a wide array of treatments available to patients have resulted in significant improvements when it comes to reducing relapses and delaying disability in patients with RMS, larger unmet needs remain, including more effective treatment for PPMS, better understanding of MS in underrepresented populations, new biomarkers to diagnose and predict the course of a heterogeneous and complicated disease, and new drugs that could reverse the damage caused by MS. Finally, Biogen's push to bring Adjahelm to market as the first disease-modifying Alzheimer's disease therapy seems to have backfired one year later. Instead of changing the lives of millions of patients and boosting the company's profile and profits, the success of gaining accelerated approval from the US FDA was followed by commercial failure.
As part of a package of stories marking the one-year anniversary of the approval of Adjuhelm in the US, Mandy Jackson and Mary Jo Laffler write that Adjuhelm's endorsement by the FDA created doubt about clinical benefit because the accelerated approval was based on the amyloid clearing antibody's effect on a biomarker rather than its ability to slow cognitive decline. That and the product's high price combined for poor uptake and a lot of criticism. The experience has left Biogen battered and bruised. The failure to make a mark with Adjuhelm has forced restructuring and executive changes at what had been a big biotech stalwart. It's clear the company erred in its commercial strategy for Adjuhelm and looking back at the experience should offer some lessons for future Alzheimer's launches. Accelerated approval did not accelerate Adjuhelm's acceptance by prescribers or payers as an important treatment option for Alzheimer's patients. Data for the therapy was already controversial because it succeeded only at the highest dose tested in just one of two phase three clinical trials. Immediately after the 7th June 2021 approval, there was confusion about which patients should receive the therapy because labelling appeared to allow treatment beyond the population included in Biogen and partner Azi's clinical trials. Labelling eventually was revised to limit treatment only to patients with confirmed presence of amyloid plaques in their brains, but imaging expenses added to the high cost of the drug. Adrihelm hit the market at a list price of $56,000 per year, catching many in the field by surprise given the large number of patients potentially eligible for treatment. And while analysts predicted annual sales as high as $17 billion upon Adjuhelm's approval, in reality sales have been bleak and commercial payers have been reluctant to cover the drug until the Centres for Medicare and Medicaid Services decided how it would pay for the therapy. CMS finally issued a draft NCD in January, limiting coverage of amyloid clearing antibodies to patients enrolled in randomised clinical trials. The final NCD, issued on 7th April, was largely unchanged from the draft, seeming to put a final nail in Adihelm's commercial coffin. That's all for this time. Many thanks for listening. A reminder that these articles in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and to log in to Scrip to access all our other, much more extensive content. If you're not already a subscriber, sign up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.